The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Diplosport podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the latest edition of the Diplosport podcast. This week's guest is actually making his fourth appearance on the podcast. He is the cage fighter in residence for the Diplosport podcast. He is sponsored in part by Morgan's Floor and Carpet Service. He is a 155-pound lightweight for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, fighting out of Belmore, Long Island, New York, USA. He is Gregor the Gift Gillespie. Gregor is here with us to talk about his upcoming bout on Saturday night, April 8th, where he will be taking part in UFC 210, where he will be stepping in the octagon, going head-to-head with Andrew Holbrook, the southpaw out of Indiana. Right now, Holbrook Gillespie is the featured bout on UFC Fight Pass, which means that they will be available to watch over the internet as of right now. You never know, guys may miss weight, guys may get injured before Saturday night, which always gives the opportunity for this bout to get elevated to over-the-air television, something like Fox Sports 1. But right now, Saturday night, April 8th, probably around 7.30 was when the bout is set to go off. One quick word before we get into the interview. I'm not thrilled with the audio quality, but we were real time limited in when we could get Gregor. He has a busy schedule, as you can imagine, this week, and we were able to talk to him on his car ride from his hometown of Rochester to Buffalo, where he had obligations with UFC Media Day. Not thrilled again. We had to talk to him in the car, but I was willing to sacrifice the quality of audio for quality of guest. If you haven't listened to Diplosport Podcast 107 and 107.5, We actually go over Gregor's many challenges that you wouldn't believe that he had to overcome en route to becoming a professional mixed martial artist. I'll put a link to those interviews in the show notes, too. Love for you to check those out. And while you're there, we always encourage you to subscribe to us via iTunes and leave feedback. Doing so helps ensure that we continue to expose wonderful guys like Gregor to as wide an audience as possible and continue to get great guests like Gregor along the way as well. So with that, I'll turn things over to our conversation with Gregor the Gift Gillespie. What's the thing that drives you to to want to step into the cage with another human being and put it all out there and and do something so dangerous? What what drives you to do this? Honestly, it doesn't have to be fighting. I mean, any type of competition, I'll always be doing something along those lines for the rest of my life, whether it's I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to be the best student I can be. I'm going to, you know, do a triathlon. I'm going to do a bike race, something. I just need to compete. And this just happens to be the avenue I'm heading down right now in that uh, I'm fighting, you know, obviously. But uh, it's as close to wrestling as I can get at this point. So uh, my body's still holding up. I hate to say I need to be busy and I need to be competing at something, but I think that's really what it is. I mean, there's some sort of internal... Uh, thrill I get, you know, the anxiety of a fight or a, a race or a match or any competition, you know, um, especially if there's people watching and it's you versus one other person, there's definitely a, that's a unique feeling knowing it's you versus another person that if there's no team to fall on, fall back on or, or blame or thank, you know. 
you're you're going to be in a unique situation uh, in UFC 210, though, because in a lot of ways you are going to have a team, right? You're you're going to be in New York, not too far from your hometown. What does it mean to you to be part of a card that's fighting in Buffalo, uh, about an hour, hour and a half from where you grew up? Well, I mean, realistically, um, obviously the UFC is doing quite a few cards in New York. The Coliseum one in Nassau, uh, Long Island just got announced. And since November, I mean, there's been uh, MSG, Albany, uh, Brooklyn, Buffalo, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, the Coliseum in Nassau County. That's five in the span of nine months. But that being said, I, I mean, I think I'd be uh, pretty accurate in saying that it probably won't happen in Rochester, so this will probably be the closest I will ever fight to home. I assume that this is going to be the biggest crowd I'll ever have in one of my fights. So it definitely is. Uh, it's crazy to think about. You know, my, my people I haven't seen since high school are going to be there. People in, And geographically speaking, um, Buffalo lies almost smack dab in the center of uh, Edinburgh where I went to college and Rochester where I grew up. So, um, you know, on the way to Edinburgh, you go through Buffalo. So it's about an hour and a half uh, from Edinburgh. It's about an hour and a half from Rochester. And like I said, geographically, it's smack dab in the middle. So I'm going to have a crowd from Edinburgh there as well, which is yeah, what a pleasure, you know. That is really cool. What have, what have you been doing to prepare for the fight? You know, since we last talked, uh, you were just coming off of a of a great win. Actually, in in another guy's uh, home country, you were down in Brazil, and and uh, you you came away with a decision there. Uh, what what have you been doing to to go from from that point? I guess that was in September to to prepare yourself for this fight coming up. I mean, the training is you know it's always the same whether I'm in you know, quote-unquote, fight camp. And I hate to use that term because I think too many guys get, you know, heavy and out of shape and change their regiment uh, too much in, the, you know, the non-fight camp period. My training, for the most part, remains the same, you know. I, I probably enjoy life a little more when I'm not easily leading up to a fight. I, I go home a few more times and fish with my brother and my friends. Uh, but... The training, I'm still getting two to three workouts a day even when I'm home. So, uh, preparation wise, thing, you know, the routine has been the same since I started fighting to where it is now. You know, if I sparring Monday and Wednesday, uh, Jiu-Jitsu Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Nips Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Friday, uh, you know, I bike Wednesday, uh, yoga on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, I'm biking. You know, it's the same. I can tell you what I did on a Tuesday three years ago. That's uh, that, and, and I guess routine is a big thing, and and just kind of keeping sharp uh, through, through routine is a is a big key to your success. Uh, what about uh, your opponent, a uh, guy from out of fighting out of Indiana, a guy named Andrew Holbrook? Um, do you know much about him? Do Do you worry about that, or do do you kind of leave that to to your coaches and and your team? No, to prep? You know. And I say in all the interviews that I do, and anyone who asks me in general, not just in an interview, but I, I was talking to my brother about this earlier. I don't stress too much about what the other guys doing. I don't spend a ton of time watching tape or game planning. Uh, the general things that I know about him are he's obviously southpaw, and I think he's more of a grappler, but I, you never know. People evolve. So you see a wrestler who's been primarily a wrestler, all of a sudden they're striking more uh, from one fight to the next. You see a striker now, all of a sudden he's 
defending takedowns and getting takedowns. It's just people are evolving, so you never know what you're going to get. You can try to be as prepared as possible. As far as like, um, you know, game planning, uh, I have always had, I've always had the uh, the mindset that I'm going to let him worry more about what I do. I think I'm more threatening than he is, and I'll let him worry about that. Um, I'm going to attack the same way I've always attacked. Uh, I I talked to uh, I talked to a guy yesterday, and I said uh, it's the same routine, just a different body in front of me, and that's that holds true for my first fight, my fifth fight, this fight, my last fight. It's just you know, uh, I think when you stress about what they do too much, you forget what you're good at. And uh, I constantly remind myself about what I'm good at, and I watch my good performances a lot more than I watch my other guys' performance. I, I like to remember how good I am and remember what I do well. Yeah, and actually, that's an interesting point. I, you know, the old adage is that you learn more from losses than wins. But you, you've had a great run since becoming a, a, a pro MMA fighter. Um, what do you look at? You know, you've you've had only uh, you've had a lot of finishes. You've had a ton of success in, in your pro career. H- how do you learn from from your tapes w- without having any blemishes on your record? Well, I mean, as far as my record goes, there's no blemishes, sure, but. I definitely have had a few fights where I didn't feel that I fought super well. Um, one of those, and the most uh, clear example of that is my seventh fight, uh, the one prior to getting into the UFC against Sydney Alvarez, my last the title defense in Grand Combat. I fought like garbage, and, you know, you do learn a lot from that, that you can't just rely on your wrestling, that you need to use your strikes to take takedown. That with a bigger guy, you need to, uh, you need to get to certain positions on the ground. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from that. It's far, you know, and that to me was, it felt as bad as a loss feels. When you underperform, it's obviously a bad win is always better than, uh, like a, a good loss, <laughs> other than, you know, lack of better terms. But it's, you learn from those too. I mean, like that fight, I did not feel good at all about. So you learn from that. That's a blemish in my opinion and, and my, View on the way that I fought. Uh, my last fight is a much better performance than that one. So, um, you know, as far as like an unblemished record, sure, I still have a zero at the end, but um, I have not fought perfect. Now, uh, just a little bit about the mechanics of the sport here. If you could walk me through, um, how long did you have to be out of the octagon after uh, the fight night in Brazil? Uh, and then when did they start ta- talking to you about getting on th- this card for 210? Well, a lot of people have asked me, they're like, why did you have to sit so long? I mean, did they not like you? That's not the case. I mean, I I probably could have gotten on that Albany card, but I had an eye injury and it bothered me for quite a while. And I was actually medically suspended. I had to get my suspension lifted to even get on this card. So, um, and you know, that, I had to see some eye specialist, but, you know, that kept me sidelined for a little bit. No, I'm not complaining about that. That is what it is. My eye hurt. I didn't want to get... Uh, I didn't want to make it worse, and I maybe needed a little break to recover anyway. So I'm not, I'm taking longer breaks. Chain my uh, fifth and sixth fight. I had a ninth, nine or ten layoff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not that they were sitting behind an injury. So. And then also during that time, too, was, wasn't the, the main booker uh, for, for the UFC? Didn't he retire, too? A guy that really liked you a lot? Uh, Joe Silva, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much it has to do with really anything. I think my manager did his job getting me on this card. Um, I 
tagged in cages with him. I said, this is the one I want to be on. I certainly could have gotten in the cage, you know, probably a month or two sooner on a different card, but that would have forfeited my opportunity to be on this card. Uh, you know, if you fight four to six weeks before the card you want to be on, there's a good chance you're not going to be on that one. So um, I spent a little longer, and uh, I was patient, and I got in the card that I wanted to be on. I think it makes sense, you know. Um, up until Desi Green got to the UFC, I was the only guy in Rochester that, you know, was in the UFC. So makes sense. I think there's going to be a lot of people there for me. Not that those seats would have been sold anyways, but there are going to be a lot of people there rooting for one specific guy, which I think is important. And uh, how many folks are you expecting to be wearing those green shirts in your cheering section? I mean, it's only a couple hundred shirts, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I know some of those are the people that are, that are, are going, but um, I also know that there's a lot of people going to didn't buy shirts, so, um, you know, there's still people asking me if I can get them shirts. It's like, I can't be a shirt distributor at this point. I need to focus on making weight and fight. And then, uh, how are you doing? You'll weigh in, I guess, on Friday, right? At, how, how are you doing right now? Are you feeling good? You all you all set? For, yeah, uh, I went perfect. They're going to check our weight. I did a workout last night. So, I drove up from Long Island to West New York, which is a suburb of Rochester, where my brother and my parents live. And I stayed at my brother's last night. I got a workout in last night this morning. My weight's perfect. They'll check our weights when we get there, and I'm sure I'll be, I'll be, you know, in better shape than most at this point as far as my weight's concerned, which will allow me to do a little less work this week than, than most, I think, so. Uh, and then la- last thing on this, wh- what's it going to feel like when you take that long walk to the octagon? Uh, are you going to allow yourself to kind of d- d- take in the moment, or or is it all business? Wh- what's your approach when you walk from the locker room? Uh, at you know, it's so it's so funny to think even think about that because when it's happening, if someone asked me the other day, hey, do you have any special memories or moments that you remember your first fight in Brazil? And it's it's funny to think about it like that because when when things happen that are memorable, you don't realize that they're memorable when they're happening. They're memorable, you know, a few months summer, and that was a cool moment. So I'm sure during that walk, it'll be very, you know, like tunnel mission, and I'm not sure I'll be absorbing it all at, the, at that moment, but I'm sure a month from now, I'll look at And it was so cool, like, seeing those guys that are wearing those green shirts right down on the floor, slap my hands as I walk out, or when I exit after, you know, after, you know, God willing, I get that victory. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I don't know I'll notice how, how big of a moment it is when it's happening, but I'm, I'm certain I will after. And then uh, I just thank you for uh, for walking us through the the fight and everything. I, I want you, if it's okay, I'd love for you to put your commentator hat on for a couple uh, events that recently went down. Um, did first off was the uh, state tournament up in New York? You're a multiple time high school state champion. Uh, were there any big takeaways? Were there any guys that you were really proud of uh, how they performed uh, in the state wrestling tournament this year? Oh man, all my guys did really well at the state this year. I think. A few guys underperformed, but I think for the most part, um, everyone did what they were supposed to do, and some guys did better than they were supposed to do. Uh, one guy, obviously, that really stood out was Peter Pappas. He's like a little brother to me, and I put a lot of time in with him. Uh, him winning a state title after being in the finals three times and losing twice to Yanni, uh, it was just super special. And, I mean, anyone that watched that video after he won, when he came running up into his band, you know, Dylan is saying what, like, Shipped the kids in and ran off the mat, jumped the barrier, and was hugging me. Man, it was such a, it was just, it was touching, you know. I mean, touching for me, touching for people that watched it. 
you can tell uh, how appreciative he was. Uh, I think he knows uh, how much it meant to me, too. So, yeah, that Peter winning was huge for me. It's kind of like one of those things, like, what are the things done? Too good to not win a single state title. If you were to give advice to somebody that maybe didn't finish the way they wanted to this year and, and has a chance to come back for redemption, uh, you know what what lessons can they pull from Peter and, and his, his path to, to the top of the podium? Consistency. That's one thing that this past year, Peter's always been consistent, but um, this year he's been consistent and every workout we made count. So, you know, sometimes in the past when Peter was younger and less mature, he would show up to workouts but he was already checked out. So he was there, but he was present, but not really. Um, but this year, every workout was a battle. And Peter actually became, uh, he, he's an integral part of my training um, for this fight. I wrestled with him a lot. It's not, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing when a guy that you've trained, you've uh, been a part of making him good enough to be a workout partner. And that's exactly what he's, I can't wrestle when I wrestle here. Um, I have to actually, you know, like really try, which is pretty cool. Um, so he was definitely, uh, he was a big part of my training camp. I wrestled quite a bit. Um, you know, it, it's just cool. He's my workout partner now, and I had him since he's great. So it's you would have found 80 pounds that eventually helped you train for a fight. And what a neat compliment to pay a guy. That, that's a pretty cool story. Um, next up, uh, you, you were able to go to the state tournament. You were not able to go to St. Louis for the NCAAs. Uh, I'm sure you watched, though, from home. Uh, what did you think watching the wrestling this year? What were some of the big takeaways from the Division One championships? Oh, man, I think it was the best tournament that I've ever watched. And I think by far the best finals I've ever seen. But what a shame it was I couldn't go. It was just too close, you know. Uh, less than two weeks um, before I would have left for my fight. It was just too crunched, and I couldn't go there and try to try to figure out my workout schedule being in a, a different city and trying to make it to the sessions. It's just, as much as you think, like, oh, man, it would be relaxing, it wouldn't be because I'd be rushing back between sessions to get workouts in and trying to shower and back to the arena and watch like, staying up late for the finals. And, you know, it, and people want to go out to the bars after and hang out. It's just, it would have been a little too much uh, this year, and it's the first year in 11 years that I haven't gone. Um, granted, that four of those years I was wrestling in it, but 06 was my first. Uh, I wrestled 06, 07, 08, 09, and I haven't missed one since until this year. So uh, it was tough to uh, tough to get a handle on the fact that it wasn't going to be there. But uh, it was, you know, the commentating was good on TV, much better than in the past. Uh, so, but what a, what a crazy tournament! Obviously, Penn State is outrageously good, but it's, it's funny to think about all these young guys that are winning. Um, and I talked to my wrestling coach at my corner, Kyle Sermonera, about this. Um, you see a guy like Mark Hall, or, and I'm like, Mark Hall is kind of maybe a special case. He may win for, you know. Mm-hmm. But you see some of these other guys that are winning young, and you think, you're like, man, he'll probably win for one of the freshmen. And, uh, like I said, means term we're talking about this that's probably not the case because there's some 10th or 11th grader huh. right now that in three years from now is going to be that freshman that's at Penn State that's going to be beating that guy you know it's, it's like who would have thought Gabe Dean was going to lose to a sophomore right you know and he did and or you know uh, who thought Isaiah Martinez was going to lose to a freshman Get Isaiah Martinez won when he won his first title 
that Joseph was in 11th grade. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, that's wild to think about. What What do you think, what is Kale doing right in State College, Pennsylvania? What? Why Why are they so dominant? Oh, man, that's, that's a multifaceted answer. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, there's obviously something going on there. There's a, a, a ton of things that are contributing to their success. I think one of them is success, three success. Um, but you have Kale in the room. You have Casey Cunningham in the room. Uh, everyone wants to wrestle for Kale. So it's like recruiting at Penn State, which is probably the best wrestling facility in the country, with the best wrestling coach, the most successful college wrestler of all time as the head coach. Um, and you got guys, if you think about it, they have five champs. So if you do the and they probably should have had six if uh, Soriano was the next. So if you think about it like, mathematically, if you can crack the lineup at Penn State, you have a 50% chance <laughs> of winning an after. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I mean, it's like if I go, if I can make the line up there, I probably will win at least one title. Wow! So I think it's pretty easy to recruit there. They obviously have fun too. I don't really know what fun means. I've never been in the country room, but I would assume it means a lot of like uh, sparring type wrestling, maybe a little less thrilling and a little less live. I'm not saying they don't do those things. I'm sure they do, but they probably roll around a lot and they experiment with different positions because. If you just wrestle live, you're wrestling in your positions all the time that you're good at. Um, if you drill, typically you're drilling the things you just need work on and you're not meeting any resistance. So I'm guessing they probably do quite a bit of like that smaller type wrestling where I'm giving you 80% feel and you're giving you an 80% offensive look. I'm giving you an 80% defensive look. But, you know, that's speculation. I don't know. I've never done it for them. But I think they all claim that they have a lot of fun. So... <laughs> I didn't think college wrestling was very popular. I guess those guys are a little different. The uh, the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on, uh, you, your partner, uh, Dre Harrison, just had a, a huge victory, and I wanted to give you a second to just talk about uh, about him and, and uh, w- what you've seen him, him accomplish. I mean, my brother and I were talking about Andre last night, actually, and it's like Andre is one of the best fighters in the world, and it's like he's finally making some money in the World Series of Fighting, and I've said it all along. He has not had to get, oh, he doesn't finish fights. He hasn't finished. Look at the last eight guys that he's fought. They've been all, like, UFC vets or the CFFC champ or, you know, this one, the Brazilian he fought was, like, a really, really, really good black belt. And then he fought Siler. Then he fought Desi Green. Then he fought, uh, he fought, like, six guys in a row that were at that caliber. Then he fought Lance Palmer, who was the next best thing, you know, alpha male guy. Uh, probably a guy that should have been in the UFC, just, you know, uh, but he's getting tons of money from World Series, so why would he leave? You know, it's like, I, and I mean, Lance is really good. Lance is a great wrestler, and I wrestled with him. Mm-hmm. But Andre didn't have a problem with Lance, you know, and that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. Um, so it's like Andre's kind of in a good spot here. He's got one more fight under contract. Um, he'll get paid, but he's supposed to be getting paid on that contract, but when that next fight is up, it, I mean, history speaks for itself. He's 16 at all. He's probably going to win the next one, too. Um, and, you know, if, if history is any indication, he's going to win, and uh, then he's in a good spot to renegotiate for a lot more money, and if they don't want to pay him that, he can renegotiate with the UFC, because at this point, how on earth can they deny him? He's 16 at all, and he's beating really good guys. I mean, he dropped Palmer three or four times in that fight. Right, right. 
Hey, uh, last thing I want to get you out on this. Uh, you have I, I grew up on Long Island, and I didn't realize there were that many places to go fishing, and, and, and nonetheless freshwater fishing. Uh, how did you get yeah. in, How did you get into it, and why, why are you such a fishing nut? All right, so a couple of years ago, I remember exactly when it was, actually. It was the end of September. I fought in my third fight in ring combat, and I immediately after went home, and I took my brother and my friend Scott. On, uh, we went up to the St. Lawrence River. It's like Clayton, New York, up in the Thousand Islands area. And uh, we, we chartered a, a muskie fishing trip. And we went, and we were, like, super pumped. We camped out in the, in the Thousand Islands, and we were so excited to go catch a muskie and, like, you know, I paid, like, I think over $1,000 for the trip, and that's just for the fishing. That's not the camping, the food, the travel. So, I mean, it's probably, you know, twelve or $1,300 trip, and we literally sat on a boat, and we didn't touch a pole for eight hours because we were trolling, and the guy set everything up. And it's like, we watched Rod for eight hours. We didn't even get the reel in when we were done fishing. So it's like, after that, I told my brother, I said, we need to get our own boat so we never have to pay for not catching fish again. Um, and... I think, you know, a month or two later, we had a fishing boat, and we dabbled in it and kind of messed around in it the last couple of years. But uh, what really, and we fished when we were younger, too. My dad took us out in the canoe all the time. We were, you know, not avid fishermen, but we definitely fished when we were younger when we were camping in the Adirondacks and stuff. So we've always kind of been into fishing. Um, but this past year, after my Brazil fight, I went to Edinburgh and I was, I was, uh, I was telling this guy, Lamoureux, Matt Lamoureux, he's a big booster for the Edinburgh. He's an alumni to wrestled Edinburgh. And he's a huge fisherman. Like, wins big walleye tournaments, wins money. You know, really good fisherman. I told him uh, I wanted to catch a muskie. Then I'll get you a muskie. And the fish is 10,000 cats. I guarantee you, I take you out, we'll get a muskie. Said, All right, that's a, that's a long shot. I won't hold my breath. And within an hour, we had a muskie. <laughs> and uh, so that night, I think I went home the next day and, I was buying shoal rods and all the equipment, and, you know, for the next few months, I was going back home, you know, every other weekend and fishing with my brother, my friend Matt, my friend Scott, um, we were out just tons of fishing, and we started to see some success, and I started to get a lot more interested in it, um, and, uh, we, uh, started to just really kind of have fun with it, and the more catch, fish you catch, the more interested you are, you know, how that works, um, <laughs> So when I was back in Long Island, um, I started fishing the local pond, and I was starting to catch fish there, too. And, uh, okay, I'm back. Yeah, so I was starting to fish the ponds in Long Island. They started to catch a lot of fish, and it really was uh, a learning a learning curve in Long Island. It's a little different than fishing freshwater or trolling out of a boat. I linked up with a guy, Ken, at Field and Stream, and he was kind of giving me the hot spots and the lures and uh, the tactics for the area, and... You know, any break I got in training, I was I was heading to the, you know, Twin Lakes in Wanta, or, um, you know, I'm not giving away my other spot because that's my <laughs> glory hole spot. But, uh, you know, we were going to a couple different spots, and, I mean, we were getting sometimes 11, 12 pickerel in a day, and, I mean, we're not little pickerel, four or five pound pickerel, big, big fish for, you know, small bodies of water. And uh, we've kind of mastered that now. We're going to go get on some bass in the summer, and, um, you know, I've got a nice little fishing group in Long Island now, so it's another little outlet that I think is healthy for me mentally. Um, as far as like my downtime is concerned, rather than being a prisoner, the training and hanging out at home when I'm not training. Um, when uh, so, yeah. if, if I can what, put 
I was going to say, if I can put in a plug for your uh, Fishing with the Gift series on social media, I don't even care about fishing, but I love watching them. I find it really, you're having a blast, and, uh, and, and it's really interesting to see what you're doing and what you're catching there. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it started out as kind of a joke. I was like, fishing with the gift. And then all of a sudden, I got some traction. And uh, now I go out, and every time I fish now, there's someone, if I give the location that I'm fishing at, um, I think the last, like, five or six times I've gone fishing, someone has come up to me and been like, I'm here because you said this is a good spot. I follow you up in uh, fishing with the gift. And it's awesome, and keep it up. And then they see me catching fish, and they're not catching fish, so they're coming up to me for pointers. And, it's pretty cool, you know. I, who knows how where this will spiral into, but it would be kind of neat to get some fishing sponsors. And uh, I actually just picked up a fishing sponsor yesterday at the, the leader company called Trout Fighter. Oh, congratulations. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think they're a fairly new company, too. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool pairing. You know, I'm coming up with UFC, and they're starting to get some traction as far as the lures are uh, being, you know, marketed. So uh, hopefully we can both take off here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I eventually, you know, to get some bigger, bigger uh, companies, and you know, maybe a show one day. That'd be kind of cool. All right. And hey, Gregor, thank you. You've been so gracious with your time. That's a, that's a great place to stop. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug before we wrap things up? And, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Obviously, we have the best fisherman in MMA. That's the one. Uh, that's my one, you know, hashtag that I always put on any video, regardless of fishing or not. But um, we've come up with a new one lately, and uh, it won't replace, but it'll be supplemental to, to the uh, best fisherman in MMA. And it'll be the best fighter in fishing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. I like that. Well, I like what you yeah, did there. Well, Andrew Krieger, my my high school, you know, one of my best friends in high school, and my wrestling partner in high school, he came up with it actually. And I said, "Well, elaborate on the logic there." He said, "Well, think about it. All those, you know, slobs in fishing. <laughs> you can't possibly lose a fight to anyone in fishing. You're definitely the best fighter in the fishing game." I said, "I think you're right." Yeah. So. Uh, and are you still with Everlast and and everything and uh, and then Kyle Seminara and everything like that? Yeah, so my coaching staff is Keith Trimble, my striking coach. Charles Grohl is my uh, jiu-jitsu guy, and Kyle Seminara is my wrestling and you know my mental health coach. <laughs> <laughs> so Team Everlast, the other guys that are finding all my gear, they've been amazing to me. We've got uh, they give me a really 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 nice gear package, and uh, I've made a little home gym. Um, at my brother's when I come home, I train there. Uh, I have a nice little home gym there with uh, a couple of heavy bags and uh, a home gym in Long Island. And, you know, uh, you know, it's been, it's been, they've been nothing but amazing as far as gear. Uh, gear's concerned. They've been great. Um, and on it, obviously, they fund me my supplement. I have a million sponsors. I can't thank all of them, but, uh, you know, I, I thank all of them as a group, you know. Yeah. Hey, Gregor, thank you so much for your time. Uh, good luck at UFC 210, and w- we'll be watching. Awesome. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate the call. Thank you. For Gregor Gillespie, I'm Morgan O'Brien saying thank you for listening to the Diplo Sport Podcast. Again, Gregor is stepping into the Octagon on Saturday night, April 8th at UFC 210 up there in Buffalo, New York. Gregor is the main event currently on the Fight Pass card. That means that he is online to check him out. His battle most likely go off around 7.30 p.m., but stay tuned. Things always happen. Guys don't make weight or whatever, and there is a chance that Gregor could end up on over-the-air television, too, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll come back to you next Wednesday, April 12th, and if you have the opportunity, if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on social media at Diplo Sport on Facebook and Twitter. 
And we also would love for you to subscribe to us via iTunes and leave feedback. Good feedback helps get us noticed. And the more attention we get, the more guests like Gregor we get. <laughs>